Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Edric Show. I am your host, Edric Jerome. As you know, this is the place for intelligent conversation with interesting people. I'm glad you're tuning in. Don't forget, you can catch us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all of your favorite online podcast hosting platforms. Please subscribe, uh, give us a comment, like the comments, let us know how we're doing as we grow this thing from the ground up. I am very pleased today to introduce Dr. David Alfrey. He is the author of the brand new book, Saving Grace, What Patients Teach Their Doctors About Life, Death, and the Balance in Between. Dr. Alfrey is a retired cardiothoracic anesthesiologist and spent 36 years in private practice. During his tenure, he served as chief of anesthesia, president of the Tennessee State Society of Anesthesiologists, and was a founding member of Anesthesia Medical Group, one of the largest anesthesia practices in the United States. In addition to his new book, Dr. Alfrey has contributed articles to several medical textbooks and submitted more than 40 peer-reviewed articles. Lastly, Dr. Alfrey has been awarded 17 U.S. and international patents for anesthesia medical devices. Dr. Alfrey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Um, so let's start with the book. Um, what motivated you to write this book and uh, was writing something that you have affinity for in addition to just writing you know, medical journals and articles? Well, way back when, when I was at Tulane, I was an English major. Uh, so I had some familiarity with writing and, and had done some medical writing. But I finished this fabulous career and so many interesting things had happened that I just had a need to tell some of these stories. And then I looked to see what else had been written by anesthesiologists about this sort of hidden world that I that I worked in. And I found almost nothing. Everything was written from the perspective of the surgeon. Hmm. So I set out to tell the secrets of the operating room and the ICU from my perspective. Hmm. Um, what's the significance of the book's title, Saving Grace? Why did you choose that title? Yeah, we, we had gone through a lot of different titles. Uh, uh, rest assured. Um, we only charge when we wake you up and a number <laughs> of other titles. But uh, three things came together for um, Saving Grace. First of all, in the uh, in the introduction, there's a patient named Grace who there, we just, there was just no way to save her. There was there was no saving grace. Secondly, there's there's always a silver lining to the tragedies that happen in life or in medicine. Uh, and then finally, um, there are things that happen that that are so improbable that beats all expectations and all odds. And you can say, well, that what a what a series of coincidences or weren't you lucky? And for me, it's really a matter of grace. So for those three reasons, we came up with saving grace. Um, you mentioned it about being an anesthesiologist and you write eloquently about the critical role that anesthesia and anesthesiologists play uh, during surgery, particularly the inherent risk associated uh, with sedation. What made you decide to choose that discipline to specialize in? And can you comment on the importance of anesthesiology as it relates to surgical procedures? Yes, um, I was intending to be a cardiac surgeon. And I was at the University of Kentucky and found myself as a, as a surgery intern and found myself on every other night call. And we'd work for about 16 hours and you'd go to home and get uh, or 
eight hours of sleep, and then you'd come back and work the whole day, the whole night, and the whole next day. And it was just so brutal. I said, you know, I just can't do this. So the chairman of anesthesia heard that I was uh, restless and wanting to leave surgery. And he met me with me a couple of times and convinced me to go into anesthesia. And it was just a couple of meetings and offered to help me get a program. And I, I, uh, I asked him where he knew people and he mentioned San Diego. And, and I thought, well, the weather's gotta be good there. So, <laughs> you know, some of the most monumental decisions of my life were made uh, with very little information. It all turned out great. Uh, as for the importance of anesthesia, you know, everybody in the operating room is really important. Um, you know, the the having a skilled scrub, scrub nurse that can hand the instruments smoothly and effectively. Um, and anesthesia is obviously critical in order to anesthetize the patient to even have surgery. You know, the, 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 the discovery of general anesthesia in 1847 is considered by a lot of people to be the most significant advance in medicine in the history of like ever. Um, <laughs> think about what, what we do now that we couldn't do without having anesthesia. Uh, one of the terms you used in your book is uh, woke up dead. <laughs> uh, can you describe that term and uh, maybe for the general public who may not know what that means? Yeah, you know, even most doctors haven't heard that term. And it's really a term that I used and it was quite inappropriate. It's, <laughs> it's, it's an example of some of the macabre humor that physicians and other healthcare workers use to just, I think, just to handle the the tragedies that we see. We come up with sort of weird humor that frankly isn't very funny, but it helps to defuse it in ourselves. And I had a patient who arrested in the operating room and he did not regain consciousness. And it was really, really serious. We didn't know if he would. And I called the ICU doctor and he said, well, is he awakened? And I said, no, he woke up dead. Uh, that's a, this is a term that some neurosurgeons use if they've had a neurosurgery that they think the surgery has gone great, but the patient doesn't wake up. So really a, a, a really disrespectful way to speak. But I, I wanted to be as brutally honest in the book about what really goes on. So I included it. Yeah, I have another question about the way you portray uh, the actual surgical procedures itself. I'll get to that in just a, a second. But before we leave off of this topic, um, one of the things you really write well about is, and it's something I hadn't thought about, which is, you know, the role of the anesthesiologist is to get the patient as close to, I mean, it's almost like you said, I'm taking the patient as close to death in order to save them in some respects. And I thought that was a very interesting point. Can you speak a little bit about just the the complexity of, of putting somebody under sedation to the point where, you know, you want to make sure they come back? Because if you don't do that, then you can't save their life. It's kind of a, a dichotomy. Yeah. The, uh, you know, classically there's four stages of anesthesia. Stage one is awake. Stage two is when you're going to sleep that you're in a stage of excitement where you can't really provoke a patient. They have very heightened reflexes. Then as you go deeper, you get to stage three and that's the stage of uh, surgical anesthesia where a patient won't move and will tolerate surgery. Stage four is too much anesthesia. And of course, um, considerably too much and brings on death. Uh, in terms of giving an anesthetic, you know, we have intravenous agents and we have gaseous agents, and there is a long list of both. And putting them all together, factoring in the patient's age, their 
their comorbidities, what the operation is, what their sex is. All of these factors get thrown into the art of anesthesia. The science is the drugs. The art is the giving. Hmm. Make the point in the book, you know, I trained in Louisiana, that there's as many ways to put these things together as there is to make gumbo in Louisiana. Hmm. Infinite way. Um, one of the things I admire about your book, and you mentioned to it, uh, you spoke to it a little bit, it's about uh, your approach to really chronicling the, uh, I guess, unpleasant side of surgery. I mean, you write about the blood and the gore and and my word choice, the the necessary violence sometimes that occurs on the operating table. How are you able to strike uh, the right balance of providing an accurate portrayal uh, without glamorizing it like we always see on medical dramas on TV? Oh gosh, I I uh, I was really dedicated to telling the stories exactly as they happen, hmm. not to not to over dramatize them, but not to minimize them either. And it was really for some of the stories really a painful process because um, I get Terry talking to you about this. Sure, because some of those I mean I, some of those cases I remember like yesterday, and I think that. If you have cases like that, they're really seared into your brain and you you put them in, a, they're painful, you put them in a box and put them aside, but that box is always there. And when you open it, um, you, you just look at it and say, just be honest and tell it like it happened. And so one of the things I was really proud of was the fact that this is a view of the operating room that really hasn't been shown before. Um, no, and, and I appreciate that because again, you know, we're so used to watching dramas and, you know, and there's, but you really bring a humanity and a perspective to it that I think uh, it enhances the conversation and really gives people perspective um, on just what really goes on from a, a, a perspective that's, um, you know, not glamorizing. And so I really appreciate it that I, I really, that struck me when I was reading your book. Uh, it really did. Um, another thing you write about uh, extensively is the complexity and dignity of delivering news to families uh, especially when there's bad news. So can you discuss the power of the patient-doctor relationship uh, and the lessons you learned about how to deliver news, especially bad news, with empathy and compassion? Yes, I've seen it done perfectly, and I've seen it done awfully. And you have to realize that when you're telling a patient's family, and, and I told many, many patients' families that their loved one had perished because for years, we headed up the code team in our hospital, that if somebody's heart stopped, it was the anesthesiologist that went and ran the code. And if it wasn't successful and the, the regular attending hadn't gotten there by then, we had to deliver the bad news. And I think you have to realize that this is the worst news that a family is ever going to, realize, to, to hear. And you just you just have to be as human and as compassionate as you can. I had uh, I had had an experience uh, as an intern as to something that was really profound that affected my entire career when I saw it, and it was somebody delivering news to a patient's family where they taken care of them for a couple of weeks. And it was a 19-year-old girl. Uh, she burned badly in a car crash, and, and she expired. And that was Grace. And when the surgery resident gave this, this devastating news to the parents, 
I thought, how do you even begin to tell them? And he finished the conversation by saying, I want you to know it was a privilege to take care of your daughter. And that really formed the basis of my entire medical practice. Every time I took care of a patient, it's a privilege to be there. Um, one of the things you also talk about uh, is the, the concept of confirmation bias, which I thought, thought was interesting. Maybe you can speak a little bit about that. Yeah, this is an interesting phenomenon, and it's not just in medicine. It's, uh, it's where you are upon a scene and you see certain things. You have an impression of what's going on and you have an unconscious bias where you will um, you'll emphasize the things that you see that confirm it, and you'll minimize the things that don't confirm it. And one of the way, this is one of the reasons that when you get into trouble in medicine, get some help into the room. And a patient might be uh, bleeding and bleeding a lot. And you're thinking, well, they're, they're bleeding to death. I see the suction. I see the blood pressure's down. Um, I hear the suction. And someone else can come in the room and say, well, yeah, he's bleeding, but your ventilator's disconnected. Mm. Uh, because they're so intent on confirming what they think is going on. Um, I have a couple of questions for you in our remaining time. Uh, one of which is what's been the reaction of your peers uh, to to your book? And I know it just came out like a couple of days ago, but I don't know if they've had an opportunity to read galleys or things like that. But um, did you consult with some of your peers in writing this book or were you able to bounce some of these ideas off of them? I did. A, yeah, I, I I bounced the introduction off and that type of thing. But for the for the most part, it's a it's a, it. It's absolutely new to them. And I've had some of my old partners, uh, gosh, I got a text today and he said, David, I, I gosh, I wish I'd read this book years ago. And mm -hmm. uh, I had a I had a Facebook message from one of my professors saying that I ran into the other room and told my wife, look at page 75. Does this sound familiar? And it, it just turns out that a lot of these emotions that I had had about, about being an anesthesiologist, one of them was that I always had this sort of background anxiety, even though, even though I had always handled things appropriately and I'd never had an emergency I couldn't handle. It was just this background anxiety that I thought maybe something's going to come through the door and I'm not going to do it right. And it turned out he'd had that feeling and I've had other people tell me that. So you go through your career thinking that you're the only guy that feels like that. But in fact, many, many people do. So it's been really gratifying. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a must read for people who are not just physicians, but anybody who's been in healthcare. Uh, as I shared with you before we began, I had a long career in healthcare, and um, you just strike the right tone in this book. Oh. It's really, really well written. Thank you. Um, so my last question for you is one of a more personal nature because you you write in the book about uh, your experience with your daughter who had to go through a major surgical experience, um, but you were in suddenly in a role reversal where you were the family receiving the news and you were the family trying to get information. Um, talk to me about that experience and, and what did you learn from that? Yes. You know, I'd always empathized with patients, families that things aren't going well and, and it must be very difficult for them. But when my daughter had a major back surgery, she developed something called DIC disseminated intravascular coagulopathy, which is a, a life threatening bleed and 
they were, it was so serious in the operating room, the nurse didn't have any time even to come out and give us a progress report. And when I had gone into medicine, I always thought that I'd have a leg up and sort of inside information. And that when things came up that affected my family, well, you know, I'd, I'd know what was going on and I could, I could weather that storm a little bit better. And it turned out none of that's true. At the end of the day, we're all human. And when your family's in trouble, uh, it's just the most helpless feeling in the world. And you're just at the mercy of, of the healthcare practitioners and the, the, the crisis that's going on in the OR and you just pray that they get through it. Uh, at the end of the day, we're all the same, <laughs> have the same emotions. Very well said. Well, Dr. Alfrey, again, uh, I just want to thank you and congratulate you on the book. Um, you write with such compassion and empathy, and you bring across dignity for the patients, and you also give an insight into the mind of physicians who are, as you mentioned, are humans just like everybody else. So uh, I encourage everybody to go out, pick up a copy. The title of the book is Saving Grace, What Patients Teach Their Doctors About Life, Death, and the Balance in Between, and it's written by our guest today, Dr. David Alfrey. Doctor, thank you for coming on The Edric Show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This has been another edition of The Edric Show. I am your host, Edric Jerome. This is the place for intelligent conversation with interesting people. Hit that subscribe button. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next episode.